This is LEC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. We are beginning a new series this morning that will continue throughout the month of August on the life of Jonah. In fact, we are going to spend this month diving deep into Jonah's life. It has been one of the most refreshing seasons of my life to spend the time reading and discovering freshly the story of Jonah. I told you last week, there's so much here that we overlook. It's one of the challenges of preaching about Jonah, in fact, is that for the most part, most of you, when you say Jonah, the first thing that comes to your mind is what? Man swallowed by a fish. But that was just a single moment in Jonah's whole life. And there is so much more to Jonah than just one experience. Just like there's so much more to you than one experience. You know, sometimes we allow ourselves to be defined by that moment, that, that one moment, that one thing. But God doesn't do that. God didn't do that for Jonah either. You know, I, I believe that story is true. I believe Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Somebody said, well, I don't, I don't know if I can believe that. Well, listen, I believe in a lot of things that are hard to believe. I believe that God spoke this world into existence. I believe there was an ark that was built because there was a flood that came to the earth and destroyed everybody on the earth. There's a lot of things I believe. The Bible said that a great fish, we'll talk about that next week. That's going to be next week's message. Did you bring your Bible with you? That's what I want to know. Did everybody bring your Bible? Hold it up. Thank you for bringing your Bible. I, I know Shelly just kind of thought, well, what's the big deal? I said, I just wanted to bring their Bible. <laughs> we, get so, we get so lazy sometimes, I think, with all of our electronic devices. And I'm not saying there's anything more sacred about holding the Bible. But there is something a little different about holding your Bible when you read. At least there is for me. We're going to read three verses, so would you stand with me, please? They're going to put the verses up on the screen for you. We're just going to read the first three verses, and hopefully you found Jonah. If you haven't, it's on page 1011 in my Bible. It's right between Obadiah and Micah. He was a minor prophet. Doesn't mean he's any less significant it just means that it's a smaller book. Just anointed, just as, just as called of God, just as important in his work and ministry to the Lord. And so we're going to read three verses, the first three. Put them up on the screen for me up there, please. I want you to read them out loud. So let me help you with a couple of words just so you don't get confused. Jonah was the son of Amittiah. When we get to that word, and then the city that he went to is Tarshish. So I'll get you started, and then you read out loud with me, either from your Bible or on the screen. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittiah. Get up and go to the city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, 
because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction in order to get away from the Lord. He went down to the coast to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping that by going to the west he could escape from the Lord. Father, thank you for what you're about to do in this room today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the word of God will be strong in the heart of every person that hears me. And God, I pray right now for the transmission of the gospel, whether it's being broadcast through the internet or in this room, that the word of God will be strong in every heart. And we are careful that your name receive praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody says, you may be seated. So I start with some lessons that I hope that we can learn in looking at the life of Jonah. Because I think that we start by trying to figure out, is there something here that God wants to say to me? And I've identified four. I think the story of Jonah will teach us how to obey God when he asks you to do something that you don't want to do. You ever had God do that? You ever had God tell you something you knew? You're pretty sure in your heart that it was God that was talking. And he, he wanted you to do something you just didn't want to do. Well, the story of Jonah can help us with that. Number two, how to love people who act and look different than I do. The story of Jonah helps me to do that because that's going to be one of Jonah's big problems. He's got a problem with people who don't act and look like him. Number three, how God's grace can change the heart of somebody you're sure God won't change. You ever looked at somebody and think, well, there's no way God could save them. And yet the story of Jonah teaches us that even the most unlikely, I was thinking about this last night, you ever heard anybody say this? Well, if God can save my, save my Uncle Joe, he can save anybody. And that's the way it is, that God's grace extends to people that we would say would never come to God. Here's the last one. That we could be more mindful of how blind we are to our own need for grace. Because I think what Jonah will teach us is that we have a smugness about ourselves concerning grace as if we were deserving of grace when in fact we know that we are not deserving of God's grace. And we're blind sometimes to the fact of how much grace we actually need. It's kind of like Sometimes I think we feel like God got me started and I'm good from here on out. No, you have to have God's grace every day. I go further than that. You need God's grace every minute. Without God's grace, you're a mess. You're a mess. So I want to dig in this morning and hopefully help us to get started because... And I decided I wanted to start like this. I think the Bible helps us to understand that 
We act the way that we act because of what's in our heart. Our behavior is often dictated by what's on the inside of our heart. That's why God is always chasing our heart. God's always pursuing what's in your heart. In fact, the Bible said that out of your heart flow the very issues of your life. So God's always provoking your heart. And that's what he's going to do for Jonah. So what if you're walking down the street and you pick up a wallet that has, that's full of money but has no idea, ID in it. What you do next reveals what's in your heart. Or, or what about this? What if somebody that you work with gives you a juicy pit of, piece of gossip about another person in the office? What you do next reveals what's in your heart. Because that's what God is most interested in, is what is the content of the character of your heart? We act the way that we do because of what is in our heart. And that's what the story of Jonah is going to teach us, that there is something inside of Jonah's heart that he doesn't want to deal with, and yet God will not turn him loose. And it repeats itself through the four chapters. It's, it's what we all do. Whenever God brings us to a place where his plan is in conflict with our plan, God makes us deal with the mess that's inside of us. So God's word says that we are to love our enemies. And yet we hold hate in our heart for the people who treated us badly. And our heart is in conflict. God's word says we are to be holy and set apart people. That we should refrain from the behaviors of the world. But we keep going back to the same bars and the same clubs and the same places where we went to before we came to Christ. And our hearts are in conflict. And the reason that they are is because we think that we know better than God. That we have a better understanding of the way our lives are supposed to be lived. And what I want you to see in this story this, this month is this relentless pursuit of Jonah that God has. And the redemptive work of God to bring Jonah to a place of absolute surrender. But before we get started, I want to warn you. You're not going to like what you're going to find. Because the story of Jonah is the story of a man who is full of evil. And God requires him to confront the evil that lurks in his heart that puts him in a place where he begins to experience a prejudice against people who are unlike him. Now he loves God. He's called of God to be a prophet. He's not an infidel and he's not a heretic. But he's got something on the inside that has to be fixed. And God chooses to do that. Now I, I understand that prejudice is an ugly word. But I want you to hear me say this. That prejudice is bigger than race. Even though that's where we hear it most often. 
Prejudice is a prejudgment of another person based on a view or an opinion that is not substantiated. In other words, it's a bias against someone about something over which they have no control. So it may be the color of one's skin. It may be the nationality of an individual. It may be their state of life. And sometimes we don't even realize our own prejudice. Have you ever made a statement like this? All poor people are lazy. That's prejudice. Now, are there poor people that are lazy? Absolutely. But not all poor people are lazy. Here's one I've heard a lot in the last several years. All immigrants are criminals. Well, that's not true either. It's a prejudgment of people over something over which they have no control. I sat with a man this week and his wife who were immigrants from the, from the Central Europe. And they are a wonderful family. They're not criminals. They came to America just like our fathers came to America. They're not criminals. But prejudice causes us to prejudge people based on factors over which they have no control. Or to lump people together based on what we think about that group of people. All right, you ready for this one? All Democrats are liberal. Prejudice. All Republicans are racist. Prejudgment. Grouping people together, drawing assumptions based on a view that is not always substantiated. What prejudice does, it affects our view of people that are not like us. And when you dig into Jonah's life, what you discover is that his problem is with the Assyrians. Now, let's make no mistake. I won't be up here week after week telling you how good the Assyrians are. They were a despicable people. They were wicked and they were evil. And I don't want to gross you out, but you you go deep enough into the research and you discover that the Assyrians were so brutal and so cruel that when they would invade, they would burn the children, they would rape the women, and they would cut off the legs and one arm of the men. And they would leave them alive with one arm so that they had to shake the hand of the people that had conquered them. They were despicable. And yet God says, go to Nineveh and tell those people that I am announcing my judgment and they must repent. And Jonah said, there ain't no way. I'm not going to do it. Because in Jonah's world, the Assyrians were so despicable and in his mind, they were not at all worthy of God's grace. Now, on the other hand, he saw his tribe and his family. They were all worthy of God's grace and favor. It was the other tribe over there that wasn't worthy. Prejudice. And so he simply says, I'm not going to do it. Here's the point. Neither you nor I can take credit for the grace that God has shown us. We can't take credit for the grace that God has given to us. Nor can we deny the opportunity for others to find that same grace. Not if we are the people of God. 
Not if we are the family of God. We must also be open to the fact that God saves whosoever will. Now look, it's a hard thing that God is asking. It's a hard thing. So let's make it more practical for us. Could you extend forgiveness to a man who had raped your daughter? Can you, can God call on you to, to tell the message to someone who killed your loved ones? Say a drunk driver is driving and runs into your wife and children and they're all killed. And God says, I want you to go down there to the jail and I want you to forgive him. Can you do that? Because that's exactly what God is asking Jonah to do. The Syrians have killed your brothers. They have destroyed and tried to conquer your own homeland. He, he's an incredible patriot of his land. And he says, God, I'm just not going to do that. It's hard. It's like God sending a Jew to Hitler and saying, after he killed six million Jews, tell Hitler that I love him and that I want him to be saved. No. See, the human part of us wants God to kill them. That's what Jonah wants. He wants God to kill the Assyrians. In fact, when we talk about this in week four, you're going to hear him say to God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew your character. I knew that if they asked you, you would forgive them. And I don't like that. I don't like the fact that you're forgiving them. And the problem is that Jonah has an issue in his heart that has to be dealt with. Let me say one more thing. I think sometimes, whether we like to admit it or not, and I understand that some of the things I'm saying here are very difficult to swallow. But I think sometimes in the church, we configure in our minds the kind of people God ought to be saving. Not the kind of people that he would save. And we configure that based on how comfortable we are with certain people. So like, would you be comfortable if God saved a homosexual? Would you be comfortable with abusers of children coming to church? Would you be comfortable with people who have reputations, criminals, homeless, addicts, poor people? And then you get into the whole issue of race and how we, we struggle, especially now with all that's going on and how God is so powerfully trying to bring the church to an understanding that the gospel is not white and it's not black and it's not red and it's not brown, but it is Jesus. I was remembering a few days ago, and we've all got stories like this, I'm sure, just out of the context of our, but I was remembering this story that my parents were in the south side of, south side of Chicago one day. They'd gone to see the, Cleveland, the uh, uh, Chicago White Sox play a ball game. And you know, you'd have to know my dad. My dad's never seen anything that troubled him or made him afraid. He just driving through the south side of Chicago and he blows into this restaurant and goes in, he and my mom and another friend, and they sit down and 
My mother said there was instant tension in the room. And they sat there and they kept waiting for a waitress or someone to come and nobody came. And in just a few minutes, the police showed up. And an officer came to the table and said, folks, I want you to gather up your belongings and I want you to come with me. Dad said, all right. They gathered up their stuff and they walked out. He put mom and dad back in the car and he said, I want you to follow me out of this neighborhood. This restaurant does not serve white people. And the owner of the restaurant called because he was fearful of what might happen to you here. See, that kind of stuff makes my stomach crawl. That's not the world God created. That's the world man has made. And that's because the evil that lurks inside of us has never been given over to the blood of Jesus Christ that helps us to understand that Jesus Christ died for all people. So it becomes important for us to understand that if we treat people that way, who gets saved? If we treated people, if God treated people the way that we sometimes treat people, who would ever get saved? So let's look at the text. God says, first of all, in verse 1, that the word of the Lord came to, to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. Now, the command was not something that was confusing. I mean, Jonah was used to God speaking. It wasn't something that he didn't understand. It was a direct communication from God. Now, the idea of God speaking can sometimes be a bit intimidating. In fact, I, over the years in the ministry, I, I've really come to believe that this idea of God talking really falls into two groups of people. you got people that say, God never talks to me. And on the other side, you got people who are always talking about God talking to them. It's as if there's no happy medium. Now, here's what I'm saying, that we live in a culture that's very open to the spiritual. They're very open. Now, they may not be open to God. They may not be open to the Holy Spirit, but they're open to the spiritual. We pay people. We call them fortune tellers and, and card readers. We pay people to connect us to the spirits. And the world is very comfortable with this idea that there is something that speaks to us. Why, why people will say, you know, you just need to listen to that little voice inside of you. You need to listen to, to the, your gut. You need to go with your gut because they're very comfortable with that. But the moment that we start saying that we have to bring that into alignment with what God has said, people get all nervous about that. Culture gets very nervous because we don't want God telling us what to do. We want to be true to our own spirit. We want to live by what we say. And so God, the gospel sometimes is offensive to people when it's laid out there as a standard that this is God talking to us. Listen, when you pick up your Bible like that and you start reading that, it's just like God talking to you. People say, well, God never talks to me. Well, then just read your Bible. God's talking from the Bible. That's the way he talks. It's the most frequent way that he talks. Now look, I know there are times when God speaks otherwise and that's, that's true and I believe it and I've had that happen. But most frequently God talks to us right out of his word. Here's the problem. 
we have a tendency at times to pick and choose about it, don't we? So it goes something like this. I really, really, really want to date this hot guy. He's super hot. He's super cool. I really, really want to date him, but I know he's not a believer. And I know he does some things that probably shouldn't do. And, but he picked me up for a date the other night and he was wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet. And I just felt like that was God telling me it was okay. Or one that I love was like, this girl, I was asking her a few years ago, are you sure you should date this guy? And she said, well, pastor, here's the way it went. She said, I wasn't really sure. My parents weren't that comfortable, but I saw him the other day and he had a sign on that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. And I figured that had to be a sign from God. No, it's not. You're justifying what you want to do and you're making God a partner to it. He bought that shirt at Goodwill. <laughs> Here's one I've heard before. I really, really want to buy that car. But I don't have the money, and if I buy it, it's going to put me in a bad place. So I just prayed and said, Lord, help me make the right decision. And so on the way to work, that particular brand of car passed me up, and I said, that's a sign from God that I should buy the car. That's how we treat sometimes the word of the Lord. What we're saying is, is that we're open to listening to God when he is saying something that we like or something that we agree with. Jonah was accustomed to hearing God's voice. So let me set the record straight. Jonah rejected what God said, not because he was confused. Not because he didn't understand. He rejected what God said because he did not agree with what God had said. And I'll just say this. You had better be careful building your life in opposition to God's word. I don't care how popular, I don't care how much it makes, how much pleasure it brings you. When you set yourself to live your life opposite of God's word, you are headed for trouble. Here's the second one. In verse 2, the Bible said that God said, announce my judgment. It caught my eye when I was reading that several weeks back. That God said to Jonah, you get the responsibility for carrying this message to announce my judgment. Now God can announce his own judgment. He doesn't need a man to do that, but he decided that he would, he would give Jonah the privilege and the responsibility to announce his judgment. In other words, Jonah will eventually show up in Nineveh and he will speak for God. Now you let your mind wrap me wrapped around that. You wrap your mind around the fact that the God who created this world, who spoke this world into existence said, I want you, I'm trusting you to announce my judgment. That's not easy. Nor should it be taken lightly. It's why when I come here on Sunday, when others come here, Pastor Dustin comes here, someone else comes, they come with an understanding, this incredible responsibility that what we say here, if we say this is God, we had better know what God has said. 
So here's the question. Are you the kind of person that God could trust like that? Are you the kind of person that God could say, hey, here's what I want you to do. When you go to work tomorrow, I want you to invite Susie to go to lunch with you. And here's what I want you to tell her. Are, are you the kind of person that God could have enough confidence to say to you, listen, I'm giving you responsibility. I want you to make sure that you tell, you fill in the blank, that I love them. What about as a church? Are we the kind of church that God could trust to say, listen, every person that lives on Antioch Road, you are responsible to tell them that I love them. You're a part of what I'm trying to do in Lake County and I'm trusting you to communicate the gospel whatever means you have to do it. Make sure that every resident of Lake County knows that I love them and I'm coming soon. And we quickly would say, well, yeah, absolutely, of course. Until God sends us into the uncomfortable conversation. Until God positions us in the place where we are not comfortable and then we flinch. It, and it goes like this. It, this is a few years ago when I was the state overseer and I was working with a church that needed a pastor. And I said to them, what kind of church do we want to be? Well, we want to be a church for sinners. I said, do we? Yes, we want to be a church for sinners. I said, right around your church here are all kinds of fields and the migrant workers come in every summer. How much are we doing there? And I'll never forget it. The woman who was like the spokesman, self-appointed, said, oh, we don't want them in our church. They wouldn't fit in with us. And I said, when did fitting in become the criteria for telling people Jesus died for them? You understand what I'm saying? I'm telling you this, and I hope you don't feel, get upset. If you do get upset, come and talk to me. I'm not trying to be offensive, and I'm not trying to be provocative. But if your church has so many rules that sinners can't be comfortable in the house of God, we're not the church Jesus died for. We have to be a church that is open to every person that's lost. And I know when we say that, we don't know what that means, but I'm just saying the doors have to be wide open. Jesus didn't die for one race. He didn't die for one class. He didn't die for one community. He died for every person. It is the work of the church to communicate and announce the judgment of God to a lost world. Here's the last one. Verse 3 says, Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction. So what is it that you do when you don't want to do what God wants you to do? Well, if you're Jonah... You run. Now some people ignore it. They act like they didn't hear it. 
Here's my favorite. I'm going to pray about that, Pastor. No, you're not. You're not going to pray about it. You don't have to pray about what God said. Amen? If God said it, what are you praying about? Jonah ran. The two, the verse gives us two things that Jonah did. First of all, it said he intended to get away from the Lord. So he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Put the picture up, the graphic on the screen if you can, please. There we go. So you see Nineveh on the far right, possibly where Tarshish was at the bottom of Spain near the border of Portugal. That's where he's going. That was the known world in the time of Jonah. So literally, he's going as far away from God as he possibly can. He's going in the opposite direction. Instead of going to Nineveh from Joppa, he's going as far away as he can. The second thing the scripture said was, he's hoping to get away from the Lord. Intending to get away from the Lord. Hoping to get away from the Lord. So I was thinking, why that ship? Why, why that ship, Dustin? Because if you're running from the Lord, wouldn't any ship work? I mean, if your objective is to run away, why, why, what difference does it make? Just find a ship and get at it and go. So when you run away from the Lord, does it actually matter what you do? I'm going to go out and get drunk. I'm going to go buy some drugs. I'm going to go find somebody that I can sleep with. I'm going to go out and do some crazy behavior. I'm trying my best to get away from God. I've got to, I, it doesn't matter what ship you're on if your objective is trying to run away. So what does it look like when you're running away? God penetrates your heart. You come to a place where he forces you to make a decision. You come to a place where you have to decide what you're going to do. And so you say, I'm shutting this off. I'm not reading my Bible anymore. Because if I read my Bible, I know how this is going to end. God's going to get me under conviction. I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not saying every time you miss church it's because you're running, but there are people that aren't coming to church anymore because they're running away. I'm not praying anymore. I signed up for that five-minute prayer thing, but I'm telling you, I'm not praying anymore because every time I pray that I, I, I get having to deal with stuff I don't want to deal with. I'm running away. I'm not returning the phone call of the prayer team. I'm not going to do that. Jennifer Rankins can call me until the phone falls out of her hand. I'm not answering her back. Don Tyree can call me every day of the week. I'm not answering that phone. I don't want to talk to him. I'm not going to respond to the text messages. I think what I'll do is I'll go out here and do something so sinful that God will forget about me. Guess what? It's exhausting to run away from God. And it's so futile. 
because you'll never run away from him. Jonah was foolish to think that he could get on a boat and go somewhere and God wouldn't know he was there. That boat had hardly got out of harbor till God said, watch this. A big storm comes up. You can't run away from God. If you're sitting here this morning thinking you're going to run away from God, that you're going to do these things on your own, God's not going to let you keep running. I love the way Betty Stinson, that theologian from our church, says it. Every once in a while she'll say to me, God's getting tired of this and he's going to put a stop to it. I like that. What are you running from today? David said in Psalms 139, he said, here's the, here's the problem. Where can I go to flee from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, you dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Wherever I am, Jonah's going to find this out next week. He's going to find this out in chapter 2. That no matter where you go, in the belly of a fish, God's presence is there. You say, does God hang out in the bars? Yes, he does. Does God hang out in the honky-tonks? Yes, he does. Is God wherever you are? His presence is not going to let you alone. You can't run away. You've got to deal with what's going on on the inside of you. And what is it that's in your heart that's causing you to resist God's voice? Here's the question. Is it because you know how this is going to play out if you say yes? Is it because you fear that you might lose control of your existing life which you love so much? Is it because you have issues with God over something that happened back there? Here's the thing you have to know. You're never going to be able to run away from God. And if there is one thing that I would say to you over these next weeks is that God will relentlessly pursue you. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you this morning for your word. Some of this has been very imposing some of it has been challenging to hear. I hope we're listening. And I pray right now for all of us, myself included. Reach into our stony hearts. Reach into our existence. And reshape us and remold us. Give us hearts that are pliable and tender. Create a deeper sensitivity in our ears and our heart to hear and respond. And like the psalmist, if there's anything in me that's displeasing, help me to see it. Help me to make it right before it's too late. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment.
can't get away from the thought that somebody is in this room today and you're making some important decisions right now that may affect your eternity. And you may think it's just a place. No, it's not. It's not just a phase. You're at a very important moment. I don't want to run anymore, Pastor. I don't want to run anymore. Can I tell you that there is a grace that God gives for those who stop running? People that stop running. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never made a confession of Christ and you need to make that confession today this is the day of salvation the Bible says so if you're here today and you would say to me I don't want to run anymore I've allowed my heart to become insensitive and God's been tugging at me and been pulling at me and I need to make some things right I'm glad I heard this message today And I need help. Lift up your hand right where you are. Just lift it up. Just lift it up. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? I don't want to run anymore. God bless you. I want to surrender. I want to surrender to God's plan for my life. I want to surrender to whatever it is that God has. Maybe I've been afraid. Maybe I've been intimidated by what I thought might be the case and I've been reluctant. I don't want to run anymore. Hold it up. Hold your hand up. God bless you. God bless you. God sees and he understands. What about this? I don't know Jesus as my personal savior. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I want to know Jesus as my personal savior. Hold up your hand right where you are. Is there one here today? I don't know Jesus as my personal savior. All right, everybody in the house, would you stand with me, please? There is a sweet presence of God, a healing presence in this house today. If if you lifted your hand a moment ago, can I just say this to you? I, I know time is of the essence. Can I just say this to you? God has never lost confidence in who you can be. I I don't care how many people you've slept with. I don't care how many drugs you've taken. I don't care how much booze you've consumed. I don't care what your prison record is. I don't care. God's never lost confidence because he believes in you. And somehow in my heart, I believe God wanted you to hear this message this morning. So here's what I want us to do. I'm not going to ask you to touch anybody that's around you, but I am asking you to pray for the people who are standing right around you. And I'm going to ask you to pray as best you can right where you are for the people that are around you. Just trust me, there were several that raised their hand today. God knows who they are and God knows that you're standing close to them. So it's important that you pray right where you are, a prayer of intercession 
right now all over this house. Would you begin to pray? Just pray out loud with me. Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray right now over the people that are in this room. I pray for men and women in this house today. Lord, who need your touch. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray today. I pray the strong word of God over their lives. I pray. God, I pray your anointing, your spirit over them today. I pray, Heavenly Father, for courage and grace to be obedient to you today, to surrender themselves. Lord, to walk in an obedience and a surrender that helps them, Lord, to be the person that you want them to be. I trust you for that today. And I believe you for that today, God, because I know, I know that your spirit is in this house. There's a healing presence of God in this house today. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.